Okay. You got that? I got it. And I, re- I retort, yes. You do retort, yes. <laughs> you, you retort however you feel fit. Okay, one, two, three. Welcome to RPG Ramblings with Jeff Jones. This is a weekly show exploring the various details of the tabletop RPG hobby through discussions with interesting people. This week, Levi Combs joins me. Levi writes adventures and zines often under his parent company, Planet X Games. Levi loves grindhouse movies, and he loves infusing that sensibility into his games. I have a Patreon, and for a low, low price of $1 a month, you too can support me and get access to outtakes from these episodes. In geek terms, that is the same price that you paid for a comic book back in 1988, assuming you're that old. Sisters and brothers, we have a lot of ground to cover. It is time to get rambling. Hello, Levi. Hey, man. How are you? I'm doing good. I've been trying to get you on the podcast for again for a long, long time. It's been, uh, I know what, uh, maybe six months ago, seven yeah, months ago. I don't know. Right around uh, when we were doing uh, Ray Guns and Robots. Yes. Yes. Ray Guns and Robots. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah. So the last time, but we did see each other at Gamehole Con. Yeah. Uh, the uh, one of the greatest conventions. Uh, that I've ever been to. I don't know about you, ma'am. That was my first year going, and uh, that was something. You talk about a well-organized, like, just on time, just, you know, the the wheels are greased perfectly sort of con, man. There wasn't one bump in the road, not one hiccup. That was a fantastic con. Yeah, I think the, the, the it's like they hit the great... What I've noticed is uh, there is a lot of people who go to that convention. It was much. It was less than it was in previous times, but what I've noticed after having gone there multiple years is that the reason I realize it seems like a much smaller con is because a large chunk of those people are going through the D and D and Pathfinder uh, venture paths, and they are away from the rest of us. Yeah, and I guess not so. in a negative <laughs> way, but what I remark markedly is that is that markedly is that. If you go multiple years, you start playing with the same people. You start, it's oh, like yeah. it's a very small con only because there's a larger, there's a smaller chunk of us, you know, in, a, in those confines. And uh, which is, uh, makes it, I think, uh, for a large con, it makes it more, um, that's what I'm looking for, more, um, more intimate, I guess. Oh, yeah. That's one of the things I love about uh, North Texas RPG Con, uh, which I think I mentioned last time I was on the on the podcast. But um, it is uh, it's it, you after a while, you begin to feel like family. You see these same people, uh, same groups, you, you games that stretch years at a time that you're that you're going through uh, the same dealers. And you just you just end up building these relationships with people and just you look forward to gaming with the same people sometimes, um, you know, year after year it really, really does become like a, like something that you look forward to all year, you know, from the time that I get to that con to the very last day when I'm waving, you know, goodbye yeah. to my friends, man, it is just, it's pitch perfect. Yeah. It was, I think very surreal for me is I had uh, a few issues of uh, during the Madlands I was handing out to people who, um, who, who had purchased it rather than mailing it to them. I, I just meet them at the convention. Sure. One of the people I met up with, it's like, I played him with him in the previous day's game. And then, then he remarked 
that his uh, his girlfriend remembered me from. Uh, I guess he ran a GURPS game two years previously, <laughs> and remembered me from uh, from that game. Hey, there and you so go. it's like, but it's just like this is getting very. Um, I don't know what I'm looking for as like synchronicitous or serendipitous. Uh, the idea that, you know, it's like people that I game with are also people that have bought stuff, you know, through the Kickstarter. It's getting, it's mm-hmm. just kind of bizarre. It's kind of bizarre. No, it's cool. It's, it's, it's cool to meet people that, uh, especially like Kickstarter and crowdfunding in general, when people support you and they support your dreams and they support your, um, you know, your, your creative endeavors, and then you're able to, to game with them and meet them in person. That's like an extra bonus. I, when I see those people, man, I'm, I'm like giving hugs and high fives. And I'm like, <laughs> man, thank you so much. You know, I wouldn't uh, be able to put out this cool stuff if you, you know, <laughs> if you weren't, you know, cl- clicking that buy button. So when I run into those, those, those folks at cons, man, I'm, I'm so happy to see them. Just, Oh yeah. Um, oh, you're that guy, you know, like, <laughs> you know, so it makes me, I, I, that's one of my probably more more favorite things um that happens at cons for sure so do you do you get your housing yet for uh this year's uh game hall con no um but i'm a special guest so they take care of the housing so i didn't have to i did um, not know that yeah i mean you know alex was very very uh he's very kind um and he he supports uh, independent publishers and small press people. Um, Alex Cameron is just a he is just a, a great guy who genuinely loves uh, games and RPGs and the whole culture around it. I mean, he uh, man, I that that guy's awesome. You know, he well, me, he really does love games because you know, it, and I've never I'm not asking you for that, but I you know some people have bought stuff in the hall. Uh, as far as space in the dealer hall that you guys were in the, in the lobby area, but yeah, you know, lobby. you know, if you start doing the math, you know um, the, let's say the, the margins on the product that you sell, and then you try to use that to pay for hotel room, travel and food. It doesn't always really, uh, it's not always a break. There's, it, it's probably even hard just to re- reach a break even point, but the idea that somebody would help out with housing makes it much more of a an affordable thing for a small company no those guys uh so out of any con that i've ever been to game hole takes and this is no slide on anybody else but game hole takes the best care of their of their special guests and industry guests of, of any con that i've ever been and i've heard that from a lot of other people too and again that's not a slide on anybody else i've never ever been treated bad but Game hole goes the extra mile. Um, I, it's it's almost you know you, you feel kind of like you know like wow man <laughs> these guys man they they're really they're really going out of their way to make us feel special you know um, and I can't say enough good things about their staff um, and just you know when we had our little booth in demo row you know it was just it was in a great spot they were super. Um, uh, communicative through the whole process i mean you couldn't pay me to say a bad word about game hall man <laughs> it's just a great great convention yeah and so that works out good so I, I, then you're planning of course and i assume going again this year then oh yeah oh yeah yeah i really enjoyed the drive out there as well um i didn't so much enjoy the drive back 
<laughs> I had a flat on oh, the yeah, interstate. Right. It was a, it was crazy, but, and I don't like the time away from my family. You know, it's if I, when I drive out, it's, it ends up being like, you know, seven or eight days that I'm gone. So I don't, you know, so I'll probably fly out this next time, but, um, that, you know, with Madison, Wisconsin in general is just a rad city. There's so much cool stuff to do there and to see. And the vibe is like real chill. Um, everybody that I ran into outside of the venue was just, you know, just laid back. They got spotted cow. I mean, you can't go, you can't go wrong, man. It's a really, uh, it's a really cool city. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to going back there next year. Yeah. Well, hopefully we have good weather again next year. It's, it varies. We, you can have with that lake, you can have, you know, five inches of snow or it could be um, 50 degrees. It's just hard to, hard to know. Yeah. I, you know, but, but again, you know, I mean, th- you know, think about you're in your, I go to North Texas every year, but that's, you know, you're down in Texas in June and it's, you know, it's like having a game convention on the sun. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm planning. That's I'm definitely planning on that 2023. Yeah, if you can get down there, man, I, I cannot say enough good things about that convention. They're they are run by good folks and just it's kind of like the shh, don't tell anybody convention, yeah. you know. <laughs> Although here we are, you know, talking oh, no. about it. So what's the first rule of Fight Club? <laughs> well, one of the things, because I yeah, I played one of your games. Um it was the jungle tomb of the mummy bride. Mm. And um so, you know, as I was, as we were going through that, I just thought, you know what? Levi does a good job in this, this adventure. And he does a good job writing up the adventure too. And I was like, you know what? And I was also flipped through the, um, I've got the, um, oh, what is it? Uh, yeah, the, the uh, an occurrence at Howling Crater. So I think that's what cinched it for me. <laughs> Yeah, that's a that's my favorite module that I've ever done. That's uh, almost it's almost the most fa- my most favorite thing I've ever written. It's well, a, the that, that's thing a fun I one. can't get over is how many uh, quote unquote monster write ups there are in that thing. Like actors definitely got their money's worth. <laughs> yeah, I'm like good heavens! Like, have you have you considered just doing a bestiary of all your stuff and just selling it separate? I have. Um, but I think I'm still a year, I don't know, maybe a year and a half away from doing something like that. If, if I do it, I want it to be a nice big fat hardcover tome, you know, that you crack open and it's got this beautiful color art inside, you know, that's more of along the line of something that I'd want. Um, maybe it's like the five, five and a half year mark. Yeah. Okay. So you're, you're ticking away. So you've, 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 you're, you're filling up your binder and once it gets full, then you're going to pull the lever and run a Kickstarter, I assume. Oh man, I've got like <laughs> easily over like a hundred monsters and strange little critters that uh, aren't even in the books yet. So, you know, but then, you know, it's just, it's project management and you've got to, fi- you know, fill a hole with it and there's got to be interest for it. So um, we'll get there one day, but, you know, I wouldn't want it just to be stuff that has all, all, already all appeared in, in previous stuff. Cause that would be kind of a, kind of um, a letdown to folks who have supported all the projects, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't think so. I think I think it's because like D and D or Wizards of the Coast, they just came out with that. Um, I don't know. I don't I don't follow D and D much, but I just hear about it. So they're they're collecting all the 
all the monsters that they've yeah. published. But it's like, but it's nice to have it in one. I get. I mean, if I were to run five e, uh, it's all in one book, so that's kind of handy. And you may not own all the books, but just the fact that it's all together, I think, is there's value in that. Oh yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you, and and we'll get there. I just don't think, um, you know, there's some other stuff coming out that's got some surprises, you know, along the way, um, and some things that need to be upgraded. You know, because I, I do two, I do two formats. I do OSR, kind of a BX or first edition kind of feel to it, and then I do five E stuff. So you know, you'd have to depending on which, you know, which which format was chosen for the you know, for the, the bestiary or the, the book of monsters or whatever, you'd have to, you know, figure out which one of those you'd want to go to and then convert, you know, eat, you know, one way or the other. And that's fine. But um, again, when it, when it does hit, I really want it to be like something special. Like, you know, it's not just uh, a bunch of stuff that I've already put out or a bunch of stuff you've got in a bunch of other modules. It's, you know, there's, tons of new material in it i don't know if you notice this jeff but i really like to pack my books full you know you do. yeah it's 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 a, it's value at, i mean i value, value packed so you know it's a baker's dozen and then some i get this a lot from uh from my you know colleagues in the in the biz they uh they tell me man you know you could charge so much more for that i'm like i know <laughs> i know i could charge 50 but we're charging 35 or we're charging 40 um because I, because I know what I liked when I would go to Walden Books, you know, or Books a Million way back in the day. And I would, I would see that new title of that new box set. And then I'd get it home and one of two things would happen. It would be something like Ed Greenwood's uh, Forgotten Realm setting or Planescape or Dark Sun. And I would crack open that, that box set and I would be like, oh my God, there's so much stuff in here. This is amazing. Every page is just dripping with awesome, you know. Or... It would be something like uh, I'd crack open the Netheril box set from from Forgotten Realms, and I'm like, "What is this? This, this you'll read the back of it. It's touted as this amazing thing, and then you go through it, and you're like, what? What? <laughs> What's going on here? This is this is all stuff from products I already have with you know a, a couple little bit of extra writing thrown in and some new art. This, this is very disappointing, and you know, I just dumped 40 bucks on this you know right. and that was 40 bucks in the 90s you know <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah that and i think that's and i understand what you're saying because i i think you're right and the idea that you don't want to be seen as you know selling air in your in your like, no. it's like buying pretzels no. or chips or whatever else and it's like my wife bought a bottle of uh we had a jar of of sweet gherkins i bet there it was only half full of gherkins. I mean, it was yeah. like there were gherkins floating. They weren't packed. Yeah, they were a lot of brine in, in here. A lot of brine. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't really I, think I, they're I, fooling. I consume a lot of our RPG content, uh, whether or not it's in PDF form or I just buy it outright. Um, I like a lot of zines. I think those are kind of on the forefront of the creative kind of edge right now. The magazines and then fanzines, they're, you know, for RPGs are just awesome you know i see more really more good ones than i see bad ones but um they come in two varieties the ones where you can t clearly love the the creator has just packed them full of cool stuff and then you've got the ones where it's it's the bare minimum they're they're there to get your 12 to 15 dollars and send you on your way and yeah. not think twice about you. i think some i would say yes i think some have yes 
I think some have actually done it in a way that I, I think they were very artsy. It seemed like to me, I, I agree with you, but to me, it seems like there's some that are just more artsy. And when I actually look at, they're not very practical. No, but they, hey, but listen, that's okay if you're saying, um, you know, because uh, that, that's that's what a that's what a zine is. You know, a zine is is an expression of your, you know, usually one or two people's um, of, of whatever they're trying to do. You want to write a zine about cats, and it's one person, and you know, it's you and maybe maybe an artist, or you and you draw draw it too. I'm all for it, man. Make it whatever you want. Um, but when you're taking people's money from a Kickstarter um you should try to do a good job you know, oh yeah you should, you should try your best to do a good job and usually almost all the time that happens you know um especially with our and i i consume a bunch of other non-rpg zines as well um and for rpg zines that that happens quite a bit not so much with with but you know normal normal fanzines <laughs> but uh the, a lot of the rpg zines i get are are great um and some of them really pack that really pack a punch like jim wampler's scientific barbarian he calls it a magazine um but man that thing is packed full from beginning to end full of awesome you know there's there's no wasted space in there there's no blank pages there's no like you know he's not he's not page filling anything he's it's got great art great writing uh, and he gets a multitude of people to, to to write it which makes it less of a zine and more of a, a fanzine or magazine or sorry our magazine but it's 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 fantastic um and you know him being the guy who spearheaded you know mutant crawl classics and then he has this great you know zine that's that supports it fantastic yeah yeah i think for me i don't think i've had any I'm trying to think is that true any of the zines i bought from, from zine quest three i don't think there were any that i felt uh that um what I'm for. i thought everyone that i got that 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 people put the effort in it's just whether or not i found value in it is where it i think is where it split off it, it was mostly that's mostly my interpretation too there were a few where i'm like ah you didn't try very hard. And I don't mean like in the writing or the art. Or I'm just yeah. saying like you, you, you did what you had to do to get it out. But, and, I, and I'm not trying to be super critical, but it's just, it is what it is. You know, like, um, like, like I said, if you're taking people's money, you should try to do a good job. And, and I'd say, you know, I ordered, I think it was 35 zines from Zine Quest last year. I was just crazy amount. Well, for me, crazy amount. Yeah. Um, others, not so much. They get, they get them all. Um, but, um, I'd say out of those, I don't know, 30, 35 that, you know, all, all but a couple of them were, you know, they, they, they were great or they at least accomplished what, you know, what, what they were trying to do. And, you know, it is, I'm not just talking about like the quality of the paper or the colors, the art. Um, I'm talking about the content. Like I got, um, I got this one, uh, what was it from uh, Ninja city from Joey Royale. He does a DCC guy and uh, it was great. You know, he, he wasn't trying to knock it out of the ballpark with like super quality paper and, you know, risograph or anything like that. It was just a straight up zine, um, you know, just just straight, straightforward art. Uh, but his personality and his tone and the the way that he sees things, I'm assuming, really came through in the zine, you know, and it got me excited 
to play like a ninja campaign, you know, like I want to play a ninja campaign in the 1980s, you know, right. <laughs> with rocket launchers and, you know, cocaine businessmen with ponytails and <laughs> katanas and backflips and smoke bombs. That's the kind of thing, you know, it got me excited to play that. So um, that was one of my favorite ones. And it, 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 he didn't try to reinvent the wheel. It was just cool. You know? Right. Yeah, I agree. And I think there's, and, uh, and I think for me, what's, and I probably hit this before on the podcast. I think there's also this kind of idea is, is um, I think what I've found is there's been a number of occasions where the artistic style has rendered the zine pretty much unusable by me or very difficult to use. Uh, the, but well, actually I'll, I'll point out, I think the most, one of the most beautiful ones, it's not terrible, but um, yeah yeah low life love do you have mm-hmm. low life i, do. I love everything about it but but bra- white text on brown it's it's still readable but it's like ooh, you know that's where it's starting to it's starting to get close to being hard to read low life is another one of those ones um where the guy whoever it was that wrote that I'm, I'm sorry that I don't, I don't remember his name like i said i consume a lot of a lot of stuff but he really got his not so much point across but he really got his what, what the the point of the entire uh zine came across really really well oh yeah he, uh, you know well all those thoughts that were that that were in his head uh he really delivered on that and um i don't know that it's something that i'm going to use you know in my everyday games or maybe even only occasionally but i'm glad i got it i'm glad i looked through it i'm glad that uh that i consumed it as you know as, as part of the of, of zine quest well you know it's it's well done everything about it's well done but i thought oh, it was yeah. interesting is um what's the other one i picked up it was a it was a book it's the um spelunking the the ultimate guide to spelunking mm, i don't know that one That's not the title of it, but it was that there was an AD and D uh, or a D and D second edition book, and it was about about caves and and exploring. And then they got the same guy to kind of help rewrite it, and they talk about caves, cave systems, different ways of mapping. But anyway, I thought it was kind of interesting is is you know this large thick book and then this small zine are tackling the same thing Mm -hmm. but in two different directions which i find fascinating uh you know the idea that and they both do a good job in their own way oh yeah so i mean what what i love especially about the zine the whole zine movement and uh independent publishing in general is that it doesn't matter who you are if if or or where you come from or what kind of games you like or, or whatever if you're genuine about your content, you can you can get whatever idea or theme or game across that you want, you know. And that 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 it, as long as you're genuine and it comes across as genuine, it's a winner, you know. In, in my book, you know, it doesn't have to have fancy art. It doesn't have to have um, the writing doesn't have to be like crisply edited or anything like that. It's a zine. Um, it should be loose and fun, and you know, it should have some some bit of whimsy to it, honestly. Um, did you get this is a couple of years back but there was a, a zine called 
Temple of the Blood Moth by Jacob <laughs> coming up. Yes. Fact, yeah, Jacob Butcher. In fact, I I wrote it. I don't know if I'll use this introduction for Fane of the Fly God, but it hit me. Temple of the Blood Moth, Fane of the Fly God. It did not hit me until a month ago. Yes. No, there's enough difference there. You're fine. <laughs> no, you're fine. <laughs> It's an apocalyptic. No, no. Here, here, here's the deal too, because I don't know if you read it. I don't, have you read it? Oh yeah, I ran. The, I ran oh. people through it. Okay. Well, then that's the perfect example in my mind of of a zine that is not made high quality. It's hard to read. It's red paper with black lettering. It's not not easy on the eyes, but the content comes across very. It, it is what that guy wanted. He got that he got the content straight across, almost perfectly executed. In, in, in my opinion, the way he laid it out, the way he, he approached it, um, is short, sweet, and really gets that sense of bizarre and strange and weird right across. Um, when I look at that, I'm thinking, man, I wish more people would do stuff like this. You know, we probably get some. You know, some of those people that are sitting around thinking, ah, I can't do a zine. Pick up Temple of Blood Moth, read that, and tell me you can't do a zine because that yeah, thing was awesome. I'll tell you the, the layout. It's I still scratch my head because the that layout kind of looks like it's haphazard. But I, <laughs> I, I look at that. I'm I'm absolutely amazed by it. I'm absolutely amazed by the whole thing. Running it, I think there was a few things that should have been included. I think there there's a few things that just. I don't know. There's a few little minor things, but overall it was, it was a, it was a tremendous adventure. Listen, from a guy, from, if coming from a guy that I used to, I used to, you know, just devour all sorts of, you know, punk zines and you know, heavy metal zines and just music and culture zines. And just in, in general, um, there used to be a great magazine. It's not around anymore, but uh, the guy who does it's still around, but uh, it was called pork magazine. And that was, you know, like the center of, of uh, at the time of like Oakland style, you know, you know, zine making. It was very, very punk, very reckless, very cool. And um, he, it's another case of the guy was really able to get his aesthetic across. And I wish more people would do that. You know, you don't need a million dollars to make a zine. You don't even need $500 to make a zine. You know, the Smithsonian just, just, just opened up their archives. Um, for art and like if you go on their site you can just use it and you don't even have to tell them they've got like millions of images that you can use you can type in snake and you get like you know 80 different <laughs> paintings or drawings of snakes you know spider or sphinx or you know whatever tell me you can't make a, a, a module out of that or a cool zine or, or or whatever um there's so much free art out there and just cheap 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 stock art that's pretty high quality stuff that you can get for you know pennies on the dollar and if you can't make a zine out of that or just be creative or do something i, I don't know what to tell you you know you don't need a million dollars to make a zine you know like i said you don't even need 50 <laughs> yeah i think in a lot of ways too because i came at this you know much later i mean as far as technology goes where you know we had a a gal on the rpg zine group was asking like you know, like making a zine well what should i do what's you know a proper sure. zine and i'm thinking like you know are you talking about handwritten typewritten or computer but it's like right you know you, you can there's nothing stop you from taking a typewriter typing some stuff up cutting it and pasting it 
getting some pictures, mm-hmm. copying and pasting them, and then taking a Xerox machine, go old school. You're probably more legit, you know, than the rest of us with our fancy, <laughs> you know, fancy layout programs and, and, you know, commissioned art, you know, it's like, you're right. You can create an aesthetic. You don't need, you don't need to, you don't need money to create a great aesthetic. You just need a little bit of vision and a little bit of work into Absolutely. it and, and give it some personality. Did you, um, so I don't know if I've, I've told you personally the story before about how I got into zines. Uh, I'm trying to think. You probably have, but go ahead for for those. That... Well, just stop me if if if, if you've heard this one. Okay. <laughs> uh, so when I was out of twelve or thirteen, um, that was big fan. I would consume lots of magazines and stuff like Starlog and like Fangoria, oh, yeah, Famous yeah. Monsters of Filmland. Yeah, those are wonderful stuff. That's wonderful stuff. I consume all that. And in the back of those, they had the classifieds. They had, you know, you could order off for the weird makeup kits or the you know, photos of Bella Lugosi, Dracula, you know, whatever. And I don't remember what issue it was or what, even what magazine it was Starlog or Fangoria was one of those. Um, but in the back, there was this guy, he was running an ad for a, um, I forget exactly what he called it, but it was like a, a, a zine circle, you know, um where he would send you if if you contribute if you you know did a page or two pages and then you sent it to him um he would get everybody else's art that was sending him to and he he would make a zine and then he would send you a copy and send everybody else a copy is that an appa what's that is that called an appa appa oh i i don't don't know i have no idea but uh it was like it was like a cool little zine like mailing list you know and granted, remember, I'm 13. So I start sending my, you know, crude drawings and, you know, crude cartoons and stuff off to this guy uh, in New Jersey named Frank Nora. Uh, he, he was doing a cool little uh, cheaply made zine called Zope, Z-O-P-E. Had crazy crude drawings in it, you know, pretty, pretty dirty, you know, for, yeah. <laughs> for its time. Um, so, you know, that went on for, I don't know, you know, five, six, seven months. And then one day I get home from school. And my mom's like, get in here. And she's like, what is this? And I had sent off, um, I'd received this package from this strange man, Frank Nora. And I had, you know, inside it was was the, the zine that we he had compiled everything for that month. And, and my entry was in there along with my original art that had been returned to me as well. And my original art, and granted, remember, I'm 12 or 13, um, was for, I had a little one-page thing. It was kind of a riff off of uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or the radioactive hamsters, you know, with all yeah. that stuff during those areas. But it was called, and remember, I'm a 13-year-old boy that grew up in the age of Garbage Pail Kids, um, but it was called uh, Turbo Tittied Ninja Nuns. Yes. And it was, you know, a nun with a nunchucks yeah. and big pro- propellers for breath. Um, <laughs> yeah, four of them, you know, jumping from the, you know, yeah. skyscraper or whatever. And my mom's like, what the hell is this? Yada, yada, yada. And I had pretty cool parents, very liberal, uh, laid back, you know, kind of like just, you know, let's let, if our son wants to be, you know, be involved in art, let's give him a little bit of freedom, you know, kind of mindset. Up to that point. Uh, but this was like, <laughs> all right, so, so so I'm sending off these, you know, crude half pornographic, you know, drawings to this strange man in New Jersey that they don't know. And like any good parent she is mortified she is horrified that her son's been doing this of course that was the end of that she's like then they had to sit me down and explain why that was such a bad idea and yada 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 
uh, flash forward to uh, just a couple of years ago, I find this guy on on Facebook and I reached yeah. out to him. He's like, and he's like, I do remember you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he had a bunch of stuff was still online. Um, just a completely normal guy with a family and, you know, what? he had no idea that I was 13. He had zero idea. Right. Things were different another, back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's how I got into Zine. And that kind of, you know, that being in that little circle or whatever led me, like every time we go to like a music, a music shop out of town or uh, to a comic book store, I was always looking for those little cheap, dirty, um, not, not dirty in content, right. but just like, <laughs> Like cheaply made. Um, that was that was the warning at magazines. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that yeah. was my uh, that was that was my first hit of of the zine culture. Yeah, I believe I can't find the internet to 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 confirm, but I believe an APA is where everybody contributes and then everybody gets a copy. I believe is mm-hmm. what they used to call it, but I can't find. I can't. My Google food's not strong enough to to verify I wish. it. I wish I still had some of the, some of those from, from back in the day, but those are, I'm sure in a landfill somewhere long gone. Yeah. It's, and I think my attitude towards them were, you know, cause I've seen some, not the physical zines, but I think my attitude towards zines would have, I would have poo pooed them. Uh, I just, you know, when I was younger, so. Sure. No. And I, I kind of, uh, kind of, wish now that i had a different attitude when i was younger towards that sort of stuff in some of the heydays because i know like um like traveler had probably their fair share of of zines as well as uh yeah. all these others and i think uh but you know it's even going back it's like that kind of was the what helped grow a lot of people who became you know later well like yourself people who ended up you know doing some writing in the industry yeah, listen, I, that stuff is all, you know, it's all formative stuff. But, you know, again, going back to the zines, if, if we could, you know, if, if I was in this little weird zine circle when I was 13, you know, it, and the, the, listen, the, the, the art in there was nothing stellar, you know, it was just yeah. just a bunch of people who, who had a drive and a need to create, um, you know, whether or not it was, you know, crude TV, yeah, this, is, this is pre-internet. Or, so this isn't like today yeah, oh, yeah. where it's like, nobody would see you draw a thing i mean now the idea that you could do a thing and other people could see it i mean that's just um yeah you know it's that's what you had to do you had to go old school and and print stuff and mail this was like 86 87 88 something like that yeah yeah you'd have to if you wanted to to buy uh old comics you'd have to mail mile high comics and they would send you a catalog (laughs) mile high comics yes 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 I remember I had I had a ba- a battered copy of um, New Teen Titans number one, and that was the hot book. You know, they yeah. they were offering forty dollars <laughs> for New Teen Titans one, and my copy was like b- battered at, at best. And I sent it off thinking I'm going to get that forty dollars of credit. And I'm going to get this and this and this, <laughs> and it was so bad. They the Mile High Comics actually sent it back to me. They're like, "Oh, we we don't we don't want this." <laughs> <laughs> you can have it back. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. You know, when you're a kid, you don't realize the, um, you know, there's a certain amount of uh, other things like condition or, I think oh, even yeah. sometimes yeah. you'll see things. Something's worth a certain amount of money, or they're selling it, but it doesn't mean they're buying it for that amount of money either. Oh, I was like 11, you know. So I was just, you know, and I had I was the only child, and I had no, uh, you know, there were no other kids on my block, and certainly none that read comic books. So, you know, I was writing off to, you know, like I remember I wrote, uh, I, I sent a, um, 
gosh, I was probably 14 or 15, but I sent Jeanette Kahn, who was the editor-in-chief of DC Comics at the time, I sent her my ideas for, um, gosh, what was it? It was Creature Commandos from Weird War Tales. And I think a Blue Devil idea. Do you remember Blue Devil? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I sent her my ideas for that, and she wrote me back. And she was like, you know, keep doing, obviously we can't take this, but, you know, keep doing what you're doing, you know, um, you know, and it was like four or five paragraphs. It was very, very nice letter back. And again, it was one of those things I wish I still had it. My, my, it might be in uh, my mom's stuff, but um, it was just. Do you, uh, you think about that? Because I imagine her job, uh, it's probably not a very glamorous job. I know a lot of you're in the industry, but the idea that you know a kid comes and you can it's not very often that you can provide that sort of of what's normally impact a person's life in a very positive way i mean like she could and she recognized yeah that. you oh, know yeah. what i mean oh, yeah she didn't and treat listen, this lightly she said yeah, no this is serious it wasn't, a, it wasn't a form letter it was like a handwritten you know letter yeah. on like two sheets you know and i thought man that's really really cool uh wish he would have sent me a free comment you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's how you think when you're a kid you know um but yeah it was very 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 cool and it was i think it's little, little moments like that to help kind of you know when you're a little nerd kid who just wants to write and draw comics and uh make monsters and um you know read about guys fighting each other with swords and wizards and stuff that's the kind of stuff that sticks with you yeah and i think growing up my imagination was a little wild uh, but I never ever considered writing, and it, but you did from an earlier age, early age. Well, I wanted to be an artist. That was a, I was always talented drawing um, when I was younger, but I just felt you know it fell off. Any time that drawing felt like work, I it, I became very uninterested in it. And then um, it was really like after probably after the Navy where I started thinking, you know, I, I, I do have all these ideas and I, I do like running these games with my friends. Let me, let me start writing all this stuff down. And then just over many years, you know, it kind of morphed into like, Hey, maybe I can teach myself how to write. <laughs> you know, I, I, what's strange for me is that, you know, I've ran games over a number of years. It always came out. My notes were kind of disjointed and not very clear, but it wasn't until, uh, Ray Otis, I think I was on um, MeWe, and the idea of a zine came up that it like, whatever it is, that folded piece of paper, I don't know what it is, but it clicked. Everything clicked at that moment. Like, ah, it's like, I I could do with a zine that my brain could not handle with an eight and a half by 11. I don't understand why, you know, what changed, but it affected me and made me see things the world completely different which is i still don't understand why that is well zines are little bites little bites of things like i typically put out a 48 page zine that's usually my that's the size that i put out typically um but when you think about it that's 48 pages so so let's take the front cover inside covers out of there that's now it's a 40 page zine let's take the ogl out let's take the table of contents out now it's 38 pages well the 38 pages that's you know what is that that's really uh that's really 19 full pages okay and you know you know what i'm saying full pages because yeah. they're, they're zines half size so 19 pages of writing but let's not forget about art so you throw art in there that art depending on how much you use typically for me that eats up about seven pages worth of space 
Okay. So all of a sudden it's just 12 pages of writing. Yeah. If you can't, if you can't take 12 pages of writing and turn that into a zine with some cool art, I mean, that's a nice bite-sized, you know, snack-sized uh, piece of, of, of work, you know? Yeah. I think in, in I, now you're saying, I'm thinking about it. It is the same. I think I think about it a little bit differently, but I think it still comes out to being the same thing is the idea is you don't have to have, you know, the character chapter doesn't have to be 30 pages. No. And your background doesn't have to be 20 pages. It's a much more manageable, manageable to do for a single person. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and again, like like Temple of the Blood Moth showed it, it doesn't have to be fancy, you know, to be good. You know, that's, I think, what is it, the 10 foot uh, pole blog? Yeah. He, that's uh, the, the Temple of the Blood Moth. That's one of the ones that he puts in his highest. You know his highest um, um, recommendations is he says you know this is definitely you know this gets a five out of five stars, and I see why, you know simple um, but creative, imaginative, you know. Oh, it definitely is. Um, I'm st- I'm still I would I really need to find that guy in the interview. That's really what it needs. I, you know how you say this. I don't know why it's not obvious. I need to track that guy down. And force him to talk on the mic if he's not willing to. <laughs> well, you know, he, uh, he, he, I don't want to say he, he exists in rare air, but, you know, he has a style and he has, he's brutally honest. But man, I got to tell you, most of the time when I'm reading his, his, his stuff, he's right. You know, uh, not always right, but most of the time. Um, and he seen he does seem to have his favorites from time to time, but I got I got to hand it to him when you read the breakdown and then you go and like read like his criteria for what makes a you know a product good. He's pretty on the money, you know. Yeah. Like him or hate him, you know. Like, you know, he, like he he gave one of my things kind of he gave he gave it a pass, like it was it's okay, but there's a lot of room for improvement. And I took that as a win, you know. I was like, okay, you know, this is something that that you know that that I. I didn't even write for it was one of my first things I wrote. And if I'm getting a pass from the most brutal RPG critic around, then there might be some hope for, for me. <laughs> you know, if it's, I'm, I'm not perfect, but you know, maybe I can, I can take these pieces of advice and kind of, kind of learn from them. Um, but yeah, I, I would like to see him uh, on an interview. I mean the blood moth guy. Oh, okay. Sorry. Uh, but, but, oh, I'm sorry. Know, but, but I, I just right. shot off the 10 foot pole guy would be a good guy as well. You know, yeah, that's no, actually no. probably a super idea. Now it wasn't the, the temple of the blood moth guy, uh, butcher, Jacob butcher. Um, didn't he do temple of the blood moth? as like the culmination of like some sort of project for college. Wasn't, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like he really wasn't, he just like, Hey, I got to do this thing. Ah, I'll just do an adventure. <laughs> You know, which you, you, you got to respect because t- talk about hitting, hitting a, um, you know, uh, uh, a home run right out the gate, you know, good job, man. <laughs> well, the thing is, is like the art is, it is very crude art. Sure. I mean, I would say not similar in style, but similar in crudeness to mothership, but likewise yeah. it fits. <laughs> it's, it's like, yes. It's a typewritten font, but it's done in a way that looks odd, but it fits. Everything fits. Everything is 
different, but it doesn't seem to be it 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 feels organic and it may have everything may have been calculated down to the T, but it feels organically right. Well, the, the, the he, he nailed his aesthetic because that's what he was going for. It, it fits the content perfectly. Um, I'm, I'm, I was there for it. I got done with it. I was like, I, this has no, how is this so good? <laughs> like I, it has no, no right being this good. <laughs> yeah. And I think, and, you know, and even going back, it's like, I think, uh, running it, I think it, it, there's things that could be better. I mean, I don't think it's perfect as far as the module itself, but as far as being a zine and what it does and what it offers. And I, I mean, I'll, you know, even running it, it was, it was a, it was a memorable, memorable, memorable <laughs> adventure that but nobody listen, will for- ever forget. For seven dollars shipped, yes. that was what do you expect? Yes. You know, I'll I'll take it. You know, <laughs> that was that. I, I listen. I I paid something. I paid twenty twenty bucks for something. Uh, a PDF, by the way, I paid twenty dollars for a PDF the other day on the recommendation of some of somebody that I respect their their opinion on Twitter. Um, and I I got it, and it was eight pages long. And two of those pages was a double spread map and it was terrible, but it was 20 bucks. And I'm like, eight pages for 20 bucks. Yeah. This is a crime. <laughs> you know, yeah. if, if, if it was good, I wouldn't have cared. Uh, but it was, it was not good. Um, and I, 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 you know, was just kind of like, I, I you know, I, I hate to be that guy. It's like, oh, the, this wasn't good. That wasn't good. But like, no, it really wasn't good. <laughs> like, and I, I'm not going to say who it was or anything like that. I'm not trying to put anybody on blast, but it goes back to what I'm saying about um, if you're going to charge people money, just try to try to do your best. And this, this wasn't, wasn't their best, you know? Yeah. Somebody does a, a they do a, a word count and it's, they figure a value based on pennies per word. I guess. <laughs> I don't know, man. But I think in a sense, and I think that's where you find, that's where a lot of books will hit certain price points. But, but we're kind of, we can be that way. It depends. We can kind of be that way too, to some degree, right? I mean, it's like, we do look at, you know, if you're going to pay 20 bucks for something, you do expect a certain page count. And you're going to pay 30 bucks. You're going to expect a certain, you know, page count. Sure. So, you know, and I think not that that's the only measure, but there's kind of like, there's a sense of value, I think, in how we price things. It's not always clear where that is, at least as far as, um, you know, where to price things, but, but we all kind of do that to some degree. Well, when, when it came, um, when I when I started getting interested in the um, the RPG zine scene, uh, there were three creators that I was I, that that caught my attention just because their their work was so awesome. Um, one was James West with Black Pudding, that was recommended to me by a friend. I got the first issue and then immediately snapped the rest of them up as as, as soon as I could because again those are it's that is the perfect execution of a certain style and a certain. Um, aesthetic vibe um that you can tell that everything in those books is 100 him um and it's like a snapshot of of the the cool weird fantasy stuff that's going on in his mind 
The second was um, Nate Treem. He does a bunch of stuff. He did a bunch of start out with pamphlet modules, actually. Um, and I, I got in on that just because of him. He like he just sent me some for free in the mail. And I got him. I was like, oh, man, these are fantastic. This is just, you know, one piece of paper folded up yeah. like a re- religious pamphlet. Um, and yeah, I, I created a couple just based on, uh, on, you know, his encouragement. Um, and then, you know, he's, he's gone on to do a, a bunch of other stuff. He actually just came out with a really, um, great hardcover compilation through exalted funeral. But, uh, so there, that was, yeah, that, that was him. Awesome. Just awesome, straightforward aesthetic. And then, um, uh, Philip Reed had those, uh, delayed blast game master. And then all the stuff that came after that, that's a guy that, man, he really does some good work. You know, uh, when you get his books, you know, that you're, you're getting, you, he's not shortchanging you at all. You know, um, you know that he will deliver on that Kickstarter. You know, he's, he's not, he, he doesn't pull his punches and you get cool stuff, you know, and he doesn't try to like, you know, he's the, the price point is just right. You know, he's not yeah. trying to, to, to break the bank on everything. So you can get all of his stuff for a pretty reasonable price. And I looked at those three guys and I thought, man, this is the kind of thing that I want to be doing. So I just, that's, that's how I, you know, I was, I was already doing modules and I thought, well, let me do some smaller things too, you know, just these little bite-sized pieces of ideas and whatnot. And let's, let's see what happens. Yeah. And I think too, is if you kind of can find a good, this is something I'm not doing, but I recognize that, you know, if you could find a certain <clears throat> niche and then publish your zines towards that, you can really do, I think you could do fairly well. Well, so, you know, I, having a niche is fine um that's great for i guess for folks um but i want to do a bunch of different stuff like i have the phylactery zines which are all kind of like weird osr fantasy um i did that ray guns and robots specifically because i wanted to do a a kind of an offbeat sort of um sci-fi but like a pulpy sci-fi thing and then I did magic and shit because uh, I wanted to, to to really do like just a book about magic items, but kind of through like an eighties, nineties yeah, heavy, heavy, heavy metal lens. I think that same, but I think your 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 group is still kind of OSR, um, odd stuff. You're kind of like the I don't want to say an MCC vibe, but I mean <laughs> you you are you're not really you're not doing like Traveler one day, Ultraviolet Grasslands the next. You know what I mean? You, you, there is a certain amount of, even though there's some variation content, it's still fully Levi Combs. And there's, it's, you're like, well, okay. yeah, that's the whole point of a zine though, is, is you, it's, it's a, it's a bite-sized bit of that person. You know what I mean? Like when you, when you get like, you get a zine from James West, that's him. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a hundred percent him, man. That's, that's his vibe. And I, I hope that when you get a zine from me, you're like, Oh yeah, this definitely, Levi definitely wrote this. This is, right. this is definitely something out of his, his weird ass head. <laughs> you hope i i hope that's coming across i mean we'll, we'll we'll see i guess yeah but i think there might be even other areas too it's like you know it's kind of like um i th- it, so this is i because i've i've published a number of very small things in different ways mostly pdfs in different um to different groups because my rpg interests vary but it just does seem like there are some, um, there are some, um, what would say, game systems that seem to be more hungry for uh, work than others. That they're more open, and it's, 
I think there's more opportunities. And I think that's where people trying to create in a space, if they're already a big fan in a certain space, it's maybe not like D and D fifth edition. It's hard to, it's hard to make any noise in that arena, but mutant crawl classics or old school essentials. It's much easier to. Sure. Um, does, does OSC have a, um, I guess OSC falls underneath the um, the OGL, doesn't it? It does. Okay, so anybody can make OSC content? Oh, yeah, they've got, um, in fact, if you look, they have a style guide, and they also provide an SRD as well. Hmm. All right, interesting. Because uh, I really like the, the way OSC is laid out. I mean, I think that's what most people enjoy about it is that you know it's basically the old rules but they make sense now <laughs> you know and yes. of course the art the art and the layout is just you know fantastic um yeah that would be interesting to to maybe convert some stuff or or write some new stuff strictly for osc because I, I i do like those guys um and i do i do like the what, what they're doing over there so yeah maybe i'll look into that thanks yeah uh, well and i'm thinking <laughs> yeah I'm a, one more thing to add to the list of things. Um, Cause that's what I was thinking about doing with Thane, but I, I this is what's kind of interesting. Uh, in that, you know, that community, I think is a fairly vibrant and strong community. And, and with Thane, I've got spells, uh, which I could convert to, uh, which I am making them OSC compliant, whatever that means. I do have a small bestiary uh, which is very easy to use the OSC stat box. Mm -hmm. But the problem I have is this is interesting. If I brand this as OSC, which I think could help as far as the market, it's my stuff is very verbose and really seems to go against the aesthetic of OSC as far as sure. the verbosity. Like that's a leg. It's like the 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 terseness is a is a leg of one of the legs that that table stands on yeah and so i you know i gotta think about carefully how i message or a signal because mm -hmm. on one hand if if people some people look at osc and say oh it's osc they'll look at it and say oh that way i can use easily convert to whatever i want there's people that look at it that way there's other people saying mm -hmm. i want a bare bones system bare bones adventure bare bones whatever and that's where this isn't so well, you look at the way that, that that the OSC, the way they're like Isle the Planchian Mage, <clears throat> or any of those, uh, what is it, uh, the Blood King one that uh, Diogo did. Um, yeah, they're all they're those those stat blocks, not stat blocks, but those encounter blocks are written in a very specific, short way, um, but they're very carefully edited. They're, actually, the editing is really really good. Um, but they're the they're they're great. Uh, what, what's the one in the the, the glittering? Um, it's my I don't, <laughs> I don't really have any of their adventures, which is probably uh, probably bad on my part. <laughs> ah, I'm, I'm trying to remember the name of it. It's like glittering cave or something. Anyways, that's that that's out of all of them. It's actually my favorite one. I'm just blanking for whatever reason on the name. Um, but yeah, their their adventures. Some of their well, all the adventures that I've read, they're all they're all very good. You know, they're all extremely very well laid out. And um, when you look at them, like everything you need is, is right there. You don't have to go searching page by page, looking for everything. It's all right there, um, which I think is something that and myself definitely included. Um, all of us could learn from, <laughs> you know, as far as the ease of, of having things on the same page and 
being able to everything being as clear as it is and as well uh, laid out as OSC is. OSC is yeah. a big win in my opinion. Yeah, I mean that's really what it comes down to is you know paring it down. I mean, the, I think you know there's two sides of this. I mean, you know you you pare it down. I, you know, on one hand, uh, the verbosity helps the can help the person run the game to maybe have a little bit clear idea to be able to run with the descriptions a little bit easier. And I think it, it's probably less cognitive load in some ways to have the description at the table. But on the other hand, when it's verbose and right there, you're ready to, you know, you can just jump from room to room, scene to scene, whatever it may be, and you don't miss a beat. So you, you gain a lot of speed and you gain a lot of stuff, even though it's probably going to be more, you know, a harder requirement on you to, you know, to, um, uh, you know, to come up with details. Like, for instance, I was listening to a, uh, another podcast where they were talking about blogs and um, talk about adventure design, you know, and they talk about using like signaling in other ways, like maybe you hear something down the hallway or you smell something. And I thought, you know, even a door that you encounter, if you describe the door, that could tell you information, you know, for the players. But on mm -hmm. the other hand, it's like now we're back to, you know, you know, three paragraph descriptions of each room. You know, what, where's that that point where you add enough description to make the adventure usable, but also not too much description that makes it, you know, hard to run at the table. Well, they get way away from that. They're a long way away from that wall of text that, um, that is so maddening to so many people. And I, especially in my earlier adventures, I'm really, really guilty of that. Uh, the whole, the whole being too verbose and having yeah. a, a wall, a wall of text there. Um, with my most recent uh, adventure, the, the DCC compatible Jungle Tomb of the Mummy ride, the, the rewrite, um, I got I really got away from that, or at least I, I feel like I did. I hope I did, and got and it's actually started using um, um, a block of descriptive text, you know, which is kind of the DCC way. You read their modules; they have those those yeah. read aloud with that read aloud text. Because um, I that was I, that wasn't in that camp for for many years. I wasn't a, a read aloud text guy. Um, but having now designed an adventure that uses it, I, I, I think that I'm, I'm a convert um, because it really is easier during play to, oh, to yeah. have that, to have that at the ready. Cause you have to, you have to think there's, you know, there's, there's two different kinds of people who are, are reading the module. There's the, the kind that doesn't, that they, they don't need read aloud text. They, they read, they read it when they got it. And then there's some that aren't, um, they don't play like that. You know, they, they have to they they need that um read aloud text to help breathe breathe you know breathe life into that um and neither way is wrong neither way is right um but i think just having that extra read aloud text is um it's worth it it's just you know just one extra little step as as a game designer or writer that you can do to make it easier for the the dm or judge or game master if I recall flipping through, I think with the old school essentials, they kind of do have a, a descriptive text, but it's very short. And then they mm -hmm. highlight or they bold key yep. terms in that text. I believe that's awesome. <laughs> I love the way they do it. Um, yeah, they, they, if I'm recalling Isle of Planchant Mage with a hole in the oak. And I wish I could remember the name of that that one about the, the glittering cave or glimmering something. Um, 
I don't know why I'm blanking on it, but it's a fantastic adventure. Um, yeah, all they, they all have that. And again, they they're doing things right over in the whatever office OSC guys are in. They're 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 doing it right. They're nailing there, it. There's but there's one thing they're doing really, really, really wrong. And that's naming their books, like the 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 actual core books. I have no clue. Like they call different kinds of books tomes, and now I don't know which book I need. <laughs> like, you know what I'm talking about? No. So they have where they you can buy like there have tomes where it's the rules, like in two books, it's all of the rules, but then you can get another one where they're split into like eight books or six books. Mm. And knowing which one you need, it's very confusing. And so, like, oh, yeah. for instance, if I go, if I Where's the app? Just hand it out. How maddening. Oh. This one? Okay. Rules tone. What which which book am I missing now? Which book goes with this book? <laughs> and I look, okay. I don't know which book with this rules tome is supposed to go with this book. And they That's got point. basic, they got two different kinds of sets. And 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 in both sets, they call some of the books tomes and so i don't know i don't know what what what's the second book for this (laughs) (laughs) well i think we can agree on a a positive note that um in every other dimension they're killing it (laughs) oh no every other dimension but knowing which book to buy it's confusing it's confusing as all get out i have no idea what they were thinking but they should have come up with some better convention because now it's everybody's confused I'll, I'll I'll tell you this much. Um, I use the same <clears throat> the same uh, shipping warehouse that OSC uses and more and Morkborg uses. Yeah, uh, and a bunch of, and a bunch of other folks all through Exalted Funeral. Um, and they, it's not very far from my house, so I can drive over there and just you know, and you know, pick up a few books if I need them. They're in the warehouse, no problem. Um, but I went over there to you know to, to get my little meager pile or a couple pallets of books you know to pick a few things off for for uh for game hole and it was right before uh they were shipping out all the box sets and all the they had that giant kickstarter and the, <laughs> the poor the poor people who were working in the warehouse were behind these gigantic stacks of osc books oh, it yeah. was crazy it was like little castles of osc books i mean i'm not exaggerating it was just literally you know a stack of osc books that were like 50 high over here yeah you know it was it was crazy like scrooge mcduck or something you know it's just crazy yeah no the the layout on those uh is is very i mean it's clear i mean you read through the the books it's i like I like a lot of what they do and they do provide a short um style guide which i've started looking through um which is nice but it's no it's it's a very 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 clean aesthetic very clean yeah I think that, I, that's that's a big component of what people love about it because we've seen these rules before you know if you've been around the hobby for however long you you know what these rules are but now you get them it's things are easy to find everything's in one spot you know it's all it's all good yeah it was both great and kind of disappointing i ended up picking uh up one of their their zines i forget the name of it um Anyway, it's it follows the same format as the books. So I was kind of it's smart that they did that, but I was kind of disappointed too. So. Oh, well, 
<laughs> can't win them all. There, well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's the right thing, but it's just like, I, I was hoping it'd be a little bit different, but only because I, I was kind of curious, really the reason I was curious was that it would have been interesting to see how they would reinterpret a zine in a different way, but, but keeping their formats is the smart thing to do. It's, there's no reason for them oh. to change it. 99 home runs and then we've got the <laughs> got the one <laughs> yeah, yeah like what, what rules tome what's the what's the next book i don't know and i signed up for i thought it was sold out and then they notified me and i looked it up it's like no that's not the one that goes with this book i, I still don't know what rules tome two <laughs> no there is no rooms to, to, that would be that would be cool that would be comprehensible comprehensible it'd be some word but so anyway, they're, they're losing money. There's still money on the table because of that. So let, let me shift the combo to this then. What, what game systems or game publishers um, are doing an equally impressive job, would you say, as, as OSC? I would say DCC, Morkborg, but that, that's just me. In, 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 what, in what way? I, no, I think. It depends what you mean. If you mean as far as clarity, as far as layout, no, uh, MCC is terrible. Uh, no, no, that's not what I mean. I mean, who who is getting their 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 vibe and aesthetic across like nobody else? Who's who's really delivering on what their product is? I like think you, Free League does by oh. the aesthetics, but I will say most of their books are are almost they're very difficult to use the table like Coriolis is horrible to use the table terrible mm. terrible but it's a beautiful book so and but i would say that's probably not the same true with twilight 2000 i haven't i haven't read through that yet but i would say free league probably is one of the best uh, i like that alien book Whew. yeah but it's also another one that's probably hard to use the table and you can try and look up rules it's hard have you seen uh Vason? i haven't I mean, I've seen it online, but I haven't seen an actual copy of it. So, yeah. Ooh, it's a big boy. And I'll just show you the, this is the art and layout. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it, it, it fits. So I think I would say, I would say, I don't think old school essentials, I don't think their layout conveys the feeling and tone of the material but i think it's pretty near perfect for using at the table like there's no hindrances but okay. i think basin actually it, it, that one does a good job of both conveying the feel of the material and uh being a very clean layout um sure. i think dune dune did a decent job uh that's another have you have you gotten dune no yeah this I don't know. They, I don't can see that, but they do mm -hmm. a very good job. I think their use of, I think their fonts and very nice uh, layout. Their headers, headings, um, very nice. Um, but I'm trying to think who else. Uh, uh, RuneQuest. <laughs> it's it's like, uh, the latest version. Have you seen those? No, man, I'm, I'm still holding on to my old RuneQuest books. <laughs> oh, RuneQuest and Harn. <laughs> yeah, it's a... Uh, so they went with kind of a comic booky style. Mm -hmm. And, but the... Uh, 
man, there's there they, they have beautiful art and the 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 it is good. The only, problem I the only problem I have is the is the amount of information density, and it's mm. not easily to parse. I don't think. I think it's, I, th I think they need. I didn't check out the, um, the the uh, quick start or was the box set they just came out with, mm -hmm. but it's there's so much stuff. I I think that it's there needs to be uh, a more of a uh, more narrow channel to come in and where the cone broadens out as you go with information. You know what I mean? All right. Like, like this is you start out. These are the gods you worship. These are the attitudes you have. You know what I mean. And then work your way forward. But there's just so much to it. That's that's the problem. I think you come up with some of these these settings that are tied to a system. Is there's so oh, I hear you. I hear you. All right. Um, I, I have to mention Dungeon Crawl Classics here. And when I, when I say that, I don't mean in the layout or the you know the. Uh, you know how the usability or whatever that's not that's not what i'm talking about although i don't have a problem with the way it is laid out um i'm talking more about the aesthetic like the feel of the game does does is it really gets across um dungeon crawl classics and and so, uh, you're, well, you're, so I, what you're saying is no, so what you're saying is when you're playing the game yes how does playing the game come across the feeling what it's how well does it do conveying the aesthetic yes, as you're playing yes. it yeah, I'm sorry, but I didn't make that clear enough. Um, yeah, and I, again, I think with uh, when it comes to Dungeon Crawl Classics, I, I definitely feel that it's it's uh, oh it's, yes. it's there, it's there at the head of the pack with with a few other games. Um, you well, know, the, I think it creates a unique aesthetic that's definitely their own. So when you're playing Mutant Crawl Classics or a Dungeon Crawl Classics, you're definitely playing a Mutant Crawl Classics game or a DCC. Oh, you're right? No, absolutely. From from the funky dice. All the way down to Spellburn and uh, Mighty Deeds, and just the way that the adventures feel. They put out a book several years ago, how to write, uh, called "How to Write Adventure Modules That Don't Suck." Um, you know, which you would think at first is like kind of kind of a haughty idea until you read it, and it's really good. Um, there's like I don't know, like thirty chapters in there, just by a broad you know swath of of uh, rpg writers um you know people from other companies uh, old established bets to, to you know brand new folks and some of the advice in there is really really good and uh, joe goodman's section especially on what he looks for uh in, in a module or what he looks for in an adventure um is extremely useful uh, and he <clears throat> the points that he hits you know they're they're all they're all great and they you know they're all very spot on and it makes sense um because you see it in in their modules you know um i don't know how many dcc modules you you've played through or how many you've ran but um there's some real winners in there and we haven't had real winners like that since the early days you know since since oh, the days yeah. of first and second edition we haven't had so, winners uh, like that yeah i think if you're talking about just the the space of dnd ish style games yeah i can't really i can't really comment on that because i don't really play that many i'm just talking that the dcc is just is, is one of many uh troika is another one i think that really gets its aesthetic across mork borg is another one that really i mean listen when that that book came out i didn't understand 
how to play it. You know, I, I, I looked through it. I, I couldn't figure out exactly how to play, but my God, what a gorgeous book that fit it's it the, fit the vibe of what they were trying to get across for everything from that, that weird secret, uh, uh, glow in the dark writing on the outside of it that you have to go in a yeah. closet and look at it to to, to get it. You had, they had to go online and decipher it to, as to what it says, you know, um, all the way down to just, just the way the book is laid out. It's not for everybody, but for those that it's for, it is like a triumph. If if you're into that sort of thing, it's the book that you've been waiting for forever. If you are into that sort of thing, you know what I mean? Um, so they really, really nail their set. Like I said, Troika was, was, was another one um that is just it's it's like <laughs> adventure time on crack it's just so much fun if if that is your thing you know what i mean yeah i think they're yeah i think different games have different degrees i'm trying to think stuff that's fair i think like like for instance fate i think is a decent system but it seems it only works in my my experience it's only worked in a couple different only a couple different times it's like where it works, it does real well, but where it doesn't, it just seems to be, it, it doesn't seem to work well for me. I hear you. You know, listen, I, I didn't get Mothership. Like when it first came out, I didn't get it. And then I played it. And then I went, there it is. You know, reading through that that first, that that skinny book that came out, that reading that, the first zine seed, I didn't get it. I was like, I don't understand why this is so popular. Like, what am I missing? Um and then at Game Hole, I played it and I was like, oh, I get it. This is super duper fun, you know. So, you know, sometimes you don't get it right away or it's not your thing, but then you play it. and You're like, oh, I understand now. Like, this is what everybody was talking about. This is I needed to play it. To understand and that's it. what it's for. And in fact, I really I'll never run a DCC or MCC game. I sure do enjoy playing my Game Hole. So, <laughs> yeah, no, listen, that honestly, um, the, the D- DCC and MCC, those are my games of choice that I like to get in on, especially the funnel, because you start out with these, you know, four miserable little characters, you know, and you're just trying to get to the very end, but at least with just one of them, you know, it's so much fun, you know. Um, I got nothing but, but good good things to say about uh, about those games at con. I just like they were built for the con, you know. You get to burn out your character and die in cool ways, or maybe you survive, but you know, you can go through these established adventures that are that are written by like legit legitimate killers like Harley Stroh or Michael Curtis or um, you know, you, you or Joby Bittman or you know, these guys, they're just they're killers, you know, as far as the RPG design goes. And they know those rules so well um that those those modules, you know, you could play one at a convention one year and then play it again the next year. It's, you know, God knows what's going to happen. You know, right. who's going to burn off all their, all their spell points or luck points to make something crazy happen. That's, that's the genius of, of, of that system. You know, no, and I do agree. I do agree having, you know, and playing it. Uh, there is a lot of fun with me and crawl classics. And I think the whole vibe that they do, I would enjoy it. I just know that it is a complexity that I cannot manage at the table. to run it just it's not there but it sure is fun to play i mean that's why most of the games that i run at conventions um are first ed um because i I, or bx you know i just i like the simplicity of it and it really gets down to you know to you know how are you gonna let the story unfold hey here's you know here's here's what's happening what but what are you guys doing you know i I, i'm just giving you the I don't want to railroad anybody. If you guys want to march all the way up those steps and go right to the mummy brides, 
<laughs> throne room, man. Hey, go for it. Let's see what happens. Uh, but if you want to do some investigation and you want to put your hand in here and yeah. investigate this, yada, yada, yada. So, you know, I'll let you let it unfold, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, you're right. And I think, too, it's like, you know, if you do have been through an adventure, sometimes, uh, you know, you can just even sit back a little bit and let other people kind of take the lead and see what 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 happens and and sure. kind of because uh, it's 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 just a certain amount of enjoyment just seeing how things unfold differently i suppose as well oh yeah oh i 100 percent agree for sure and especially and some systems make it easier for that to happen like with dcc or mcc because you just Good Lord, and who knows? You sit down for a DCC game, we don't know what's going to happen. If you ever sit down at one of Doug Kovacs games, you know exactly what I'm talking about, because that could just completely go off the rail. All of a sudden, there's a fetal Kanye West in the sky, you know, just dispensing doom, you know, and there's Inferno Road and this crazy, I don't know, it's all kinds of Kovacs insanity, but that's what makes it so genius, you know? It makes right. it so much fun to sit down and play, so... Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely interesting. It's interesting, interesting. I think as as far as being a GM, to be able to play in games, it, it helps to, to to see the variety and to experience it from the other side. Because I think a lot of times, I know for a while, I was the only one running games, so you kind of get into a certain way of thinking that may not be correct. You know, like sometimes you might think certain things are boring or certain things are a problem, but then when you're playing, you're like, no, it's really not a problem. It's just uh, you know, it, it's hard sometimes to gauge the table always from the vantage point of the GM until you're, you know, well, especially at cons because you never know what kind of player you're going to get. Like um, some of the stuff that I like to run at cons is is really like I call uh, Jungle Tomb of the Mummy Bride. I call it my monster, my, my uh, Mayan monster hotel because it's <laughs> you know it's it's very straightforward you know and that's what it's meant to be it's there's traps and tricks and uh lots of monsters and there's combat and you know it's very pretty straightforward once you get to the end there's not a whole lot of you know um moments for like sterling role playing you know where you're gonna have uh these interesting conversations with the king or anything it's it's you know it's a it's a dungeon crawl um but I like to run those in those little four and five hour blocks, you know, that, that, that way, you know, you're, you're not, you're not, you're, you, you get what you came for, you know? Yeah. What's interesting I find too, is that, you know, it could be at your table. Like there, I think we had one person who, uh, in our the game that we played was one person who just really just wanted to like, they wanted to explore every single detail, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? The whole map needed to be filled out as they went. And there may be like me, it's like, no, our job is just to plow to the end and see what, you know, and wherever it may be, you know, <laughs> and it's kind of interesting because you don't know these people and it's, it's, you know, the give and take, mm -hmm. you know, oh, yeah. and how you, how you approach, you know, in your own, you know, in a person's own home game, you probably have worked, you know, those things out amongst yourselves and sure. turned up some sort of compromise, but is it's kind of interesting in a, in a game where you don't know anybody, you know, you know, what do you do, you know? Yeah, and, you know, and there's different kinds of players, too, you know. And like you, for instance, I found was well, you're more of an improv. Um, you like to improvise, you know. Yes. Like, you like to find um, uh, interesting ways around problems, you know. And some players are like that, but others, you know, they just, they, they're they very bullheaded. They want to hack and slash people. Others want to step back, and they're going to consider what that rotating hallway does for 
an hour of, of time, you know, and everybody else is just like, come on, man. We got- <laughs> I played in a Shadowrun game. I played a face. And my greatest regret was I once shot a, a gun at somebody or shot a pistol at, towards somebody. And if I hadn't done that, I could have played the whole game without firing a shot. <laughs> I solved every problem with money and with talking to people. Perfect. You know, I need to get past that guard. You know, here's 10,000 credits. Just walk, look the other way. Okay. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, 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 yes, I do enjoy the non-standard way of kind of doing things, but, uh, but that doesn't always work in the, in the game that you're playing with other people though, either. No, but that, that's also part of the, you know, what, what the DM or the judge or the game master, what, what they have to recognize is that everybody plays the same and you, it's just like when you're designing a module, you want to have stuff in there that challenges a broad variety of people. So you say, you're, you say you got a dungeon, you do want combat for the fighter types. You do want, you know, stuff that only a, a wizard's going to be able to get by. You want to have your tricks and traps, maybe some sort of altar in there that, you know, that, that only the cleric knows how to, how to, how to bypass that. You know, you want to, have something for everybody to do or have during the course of that four or five hours, you want to have something in there that allows everybody to shine at least one time. Well, I'll tell you what will shut me down quick is a puzzle. I will. (laughs) I can't figure puzzles out to save my life. I'm like, I always look to somebody else. I hope you're good at this because I'm not even going to (laughs) try. Yeah. I'm not the the strongest when it comes to puzzles either. I'm, I'm, I, I too am more of an improv. I like to improvise uh, to, to get around things or to over, overcome obstacles that's uh we're very similar in that respect when it comes to the play types so do you do you is that your approach to life too uh what do you mean well i find it uh, in my job i i definitely find creative ways to solve problems and a oh. lot of times i i, I don't want to say there's a certain pragmatism but there can also be a certain amount of pragmatism uh, that goes on on my part to solve problems um, I l- would like to think that I approach things from a, a like a, a planning sort of, you know, like I, I, I plan for trips. I plan for, uh, you know, like in, in my old job as a, you know, a project manager, that's literally was my job was to make sure that nothing went wrong and to plan in advance for the things that did go wrong. And, um, you know, just kind of oversee operations in general, you know, just to troubleshoot. Um, so I, I would like to think that I'm a planner, but that's not entirely true. You know, in my own personal life, sometimes I do shoot from the hip and, you know, do you, do you um, feel most alive when you're shooting from the hip? <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> I feel most alive. Uh, no, like, the, you know, you, okay, let's go back to project planning. Cause I've, I've, okay. I deal with stuff that's not quite project planning, but I'm only a hair's breadth away from being a project planner. Okay. So, cause I, ha- I am responsible for things that are a lot of times um, like I have a job where I don't, I don't own anything. I don't have any people working for me. I don't own any processes. I don't have anything. All I have is influence and I got to make okay. things happen because even though I'm, I don't own logistics, I don't own supply chain. I don't own operations. I don't own, anything if things don't happen i'm the one that that's held accountable for it so i gotta make things happen and and so i do find that when things go wrong 
and trying to keep the line going and trying to figure things out. I, it, it, I have to be creative and I find that's probably, even though it's the most stressful, I think I do much better. I, I enjoy that kind of work. I find it more satisfying coming up with creative solutions where it's not simple. How do you get from A to B? All right. Fair enough. But what about you? Is, is that same thing for you? Do you feel like, you know, because of project planning, obviously you're not the one responsible for everything, but when things go wrong, they're probably looking to you why it's not meeting schedule. Oh, um, no, I, when, uh, working for the military is a little different because uh, you are responsible. <laughs> you know, they, 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 they do blame you. Um, yeah. And it, it is, you know, it is directly in your hands, you know, but again, you know, it's like somewhere between being very affable and being, uh, having that planning but also maybe having to be a bully sometimes to push things through and get things done. You don't like to do that, but it's a skill set you need to have. Uh, but also to listen and you know choose the right people uh, to do the right jobs, be able to delegate. Um, it's all pieces to the larger puzzle. I mean, you get it. You sounds like you do something very similar. So, yeah. So I work in I work supplier quality. So there's a problem with the part. We're going to go line down. What are you going to do about it, Jeff? yeah yeah i hear you okay i know that feeling well <laughs> i mean you know <laughs> it's you I, know if, if, if you're if you're in charge of something then you better be in charge of it <laughs> yeah i don't buy the parts i don't transport the parts i don't manufacture the parts i don't own the assembly line i don't know the quality people i don't own the inspectors i don't know i don't own the inspecting equipment I don't anything, but I got to make things happen like quickly. Yeah. So, but I find well, I that that's kind of, but, but I think that's also where you have to be creative because the, 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 the prop, the, whatever you're doing doesn't work. Right. So something's Ooh. failed and now you got to crash that. You got to, you got to crash the, um, uh, the, the plan. You got to, you got to shorten it. Right. Well, the, you can steer this right back to, uh, the game industry because that's exactly how you run a kickstarter yeah exactly <laughs> you're you're in charge of everything and you have to make sure everything stays on time and uh when you get that um that one artist who's just been telling you he's going to deliver that piece for you know the last two and a half months you, you might have to fire him and go with somebody else on the fly or you know maybe your uh your layout person gets covid and is out for 30 days you know or, or whatever you have, sometimes you have to, you know, step in and, and go to plan B. I mean, and it sounds like the kind of job that you have is, is <laughs> it probably has prepared you well for Kickstarter. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, because, you know, yeah. if, if you listen, if you don't plan, if you don't plan the right, right way, especially with like, um, you know, the amounts of money that you need and, you know, as far as figuring out what the taxes and the different charges are going to be, you don't want to be living in your, car outside of a taco bell because no <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah <laughs> like one bad move i mean it's it's a tale as old as time but every every kickstarter you know every, anybody's on kickstarter has heard it at least once of you know some horror story of somebody who didn't factor in credit card charges and then you know all of a sudden they do a kickstarter that's you know 100 grand and you know they're out you know <laughs> three three thousand dollars or whatever you know You're like what happened where's that where's that three where's that three grand you know oh yeah it's you're right and that's definitely one thing i did plan for uh it was uh, you know that spreadsheet to to ensure that if i were to lose money it would be 
you know, a very small amount at most. Sure. Because <laughs> I, I think we always realize there's that risk. I don't know how you'd run your Kickstarter. If you, if you, this is, this is the quandary. I mean, not the quandary, but the, the choice you kind of make, you're either on one leg, you really don't start much of anything until you get funded. Then you get all your money and then you spend it. Or two, you do all the work up front. You've already sunk your costs. You just hope you're going to at least recover your costs. But I do most of mine up front. Yeah. So, so then you kind of look at, what you can reasonably you're, you're going to go to kick you're going to say well maybe you don't but i'm going to set my kickstarter low enough anyway because i know no matter what i need to go to kickstarter because i need to at least make some of that money back mm-hmm. and so um so that's kind of a, you know that's kind of the quandary we're at um sometimes with these or you choose somewhere i guess in between no no i you know i i don't know i, I pay for almost all my stuff up front um, or try to, I try, I try to stay within budget. It doesn't always work. Um, but I have been lucky in the respect that usually I, I fund pretty quickly and I fund over, you know, what I need, um, by, you know, en- enough of a degree to where I can actually pay myself at the end. But there's been a couple of times, especially with a, like Flactory one, I made almost, ex- I, I, I made on that almost exactly what it cost as a whole. When you factored in everything, when you yeah. factored in you know, uh, all costs um but you know you you own it so that every, everything after that is just money in your pocket you know that's that's the good part i can't pay myself later but but not up front not from well, the actual kickstarter for me i figured at least with scoundrel i didn't make some money um not much but uh but i figured that was my education you know same thing with journey no, to totally. yeah like, totally this college this is free college right here <laughs> you know what i mean no it's that's a that's a very, very good way of, of, of looking at it. Um, yeah, that's a p- very positive way of looking at it because it it is all all the learning curve. I've never done a, a, a Kickstarter where I didn't learn something. Sometimes that that something was a you know, oh man, it hurt hurt to learn it, but uh, I'm I'm glad I did. I'll never make that mistake again. You know, so no, I get it. It's a very, I mean, you know, coming up from taking something from inception to, um, you know, to birth. I mean, that, there's a lot of work that's involved with that. And then you're also adding in the complexities of, of the Kickstarter itself is another layer of complexity that's on top of that <laughs> layer of complexity. Yeah. And you know, the, the whole, um, there is stress involved with running a Kickstarter, no matter how cool you may appear from the outside, you know, anybody that does that tells you they're not checking that, you know not checking those diagnostics on on kickstarter just a little bit they're they're probably not telling you the truth <laughs> oh man I, i'll tell you this is what's sad is uh doug cole i don't i don't do gurps um he had a kickstarter i think his to me his pdf was a little bit high it, it was much much high it was like 35 dollars for his bestiary but i'm like if it were lower and I was a non-GURPS player, I probably would have would have bought into it. But anyway, I was watching his his he hit that bathtub, he hit that flat part for such a long time. I started mm-hmm. to feel sick for him. I at least at the <laughs> end it went up significantly. Sure. But for the longest time, I'm like, oh, Doug, Doug, Doug. But it, it, he had enormous uptick at the end. But he wasn't feeling too great about the whole thing during that time either. Just like. Yeah, it's tough pill to swallow sometimes. Um, especially like for me, it's when it's usually when I do a um, 
a, like a genre project, you know, like when I did the, the King Tut's rootin' tootin' Weird yeah. West uh, zine. Um, that's a real, I mean, you're really dialing in on a certain audience. <laughs> <You are. laughs> it doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't yeah. uh, appeal to everybody. So I knew that that would be one that we weren't going to make a whole lot of money on. Um, but I just really wanted to do it. I had all these cool ideas. And, and now that it's in layout and uh, the the pages are coming in, it looks awesome. Like it looks so good. It's, it, it's that, that, like I was telling you that uh, Howling Crater was my, um, was uh, one of my favorite things that I'd ever written, ex- except for uh, the King Tut's Root and Tootin' Weird West scene. That was so much fun to write, man. I could write probably a dozen of those if, if, if I had the inkling and the, the time. It was a lot of fun to write, and the same team the 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 guy who the one you know one guy illustrated the whole thing, one person laid it out. They worked side by side, hand in hand, uh, and it's just it really came out. I, that's one I really can't wait for people to see that one and, and Ray Guns and Robots. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I think, and yeah, that's kind of a frustration I've got. I've got some projects that I'm on the. I'm the middleman on and I, I don't like being in that position, but it's kind of mm. where I'm at. It's like, you know, communications for another person to these other people. <laughs> it's like, it's, well, I mean, like, I, don't, I, I don't know. I don't know how you, how you work or like how you line up your work or whatnot, but um, I almost always have like three things that I'm writing at a time. So when I start getting burnt out on one, I immediately switch over to the other one and I'll do a couple days on that one or a couple pages on that one. Uh, and then when I start getting burned out on that, I don't go back. I go to the next one and I just kind of go round robin. Yeah, and then I, might... I, I tend to do that, but I've also got some other projects that I'm doing layout for. Mm. I'd much rather be the person in communication with the writers and the ah. artists, but it is, it is what it is. But it's just... Well, that, that the uh, layout graphic design is not in my wheelhouse. It's not, uh, that's, that's not a skill that I, I possess in any I don't know any uh, measure that's that's worth talking about or bragging about, uh, but I have surrounded myself with some people who do do very very good layout. So um, I'm lucky in that. But that's all part of that project management well, thing is you know, choosing right, the right folks. Well, the thing too, it's like you know, this is the other thing. So I'm fame of the fly god right now is a little over thirty thousand words. Sure. And I, if I. <laughs> If I were to pay myself, oh yeah, how many cents a word would I need to do to recoup? Just get to half a minimum wage because it's been so inefficient and so long. I would it, it it is insane what I would have to to pay myself per word because I'm very inefficient at it. So for you, it makes no sense for you to learn layout. You're very yeah. efficient at writing. You might as well just be cranking stuff out and writing. Pay somebody else to do the layout. Yes. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's no, there, you know, to be one guy, you know, I'm the guy that, that does it all, but there's really no, uh, there's no efficiency gained by it. There's really nothing. If all I was doing was small projects, then yes. But yeah. that's, I mean, I, I just put out the biggest book that I've ever written, you know, it's 150 pages, you know, so no, I don't have a lot that I don't have that kind of time. I have to divide it up into, I can't edit my own stuff anymore. It's just, there's just too much of it, you know? Yeah, I, you shouldn't edit it yourself. So no, you can't. In fact, I, somebody on Twitter said you can't. That that's called something else. That only another person can edit. I don't know if that's true yep. or not. But well, you know, again, finding people, the right people 
to put into your circle that 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 can help make you whatever you're doing the best that it, that it can be that's a that's a skill on its own you know who does that really really well is um uh zach glazier from frog god games that guy he has an unreal knack for leadership but also for um choosing the right people to do the right jobs and then being able to switch seamlessly from you know one one facet to the other um i haven't seen a whole lot of real like true leaders in in yeah. rpgs uh but he's one yeah. alex cammer another one the guy who, uh, who runs a uh, game hole um and that, that's another guy a real leader you know and i wish i did see more of those kind of folks in in rpgs but um yeah unfortunately that's you know i don't, I don't well, see well i think the thing is it's like so even like like for instance like let's say somebody's a pastor so what does it take to make a good pastor so you have preaching and teaching you have somebody who is also a leader as far as administrative and you also have somebody who is a, a compassionate person that visits people okay so you got like three legs but if you think about it, probably most people who are in the ministry are probably not are not competent in all three of them Sure. And this is true. If you think about leadership in, in say, industry, you know, there's a similar kind of thing going on with, like I say, a, a, um, somebody managing a company. You know, there are probably like three or four very major things that it takes to, to successfully run a company. There's probably, you know, the, the financial aspect, the, the, say, the vision aspect, the, the people personality. I mean, there's, there's, there are, and very few people have all of those. And I think most people who are in the RPG industry, um, they probably, you know, have grown from the RPG industry based on their experience in doing what they're doing, not because they have leadership skills. They just maybe write good modules. Maybe they got a bunch of buddies and they got a lot of connections, but there's not, there's very few people really have the chops with every aspect that makes them a good leader or good no, for sure that's why when you find somebody like like a zach or an alex um and you you know you can watch them from afar watch them delegate and and how they can, can control the situation um and how they just lead from the front um it's impressive, you know, and you can learn by watching people like that how they conduct themselves on social media how they um treat other other people how they treat people they work with and again that whole leading from the front uh yeah. mindset that both of those guys have uh it's really impressive um and i i'm all i'm saying is i just wish i saw more of it in the you know in the hobby you know it'd be nice but um yeah <laughs> well i think the other thing with the hobby is there's not a lot of money in it no no not uh i mean for a a couple people there are <laughs> right but, you know, exactly that's a that's a mi mixture of, of talent and luck and being in the right place at the right time and really really hard work because going so, back to you know you talk about delegating having people it's only once you reach a certain number of sales like for instance you know with fame of the fly god i'm figuring i probably need to make about four grand to break even sure and so it's like you start looking at people who do reasonably well uh, I mean, those of us who are on the other side, you know, you're like, wow, there's a lot of costs involved, a lot of work, 
But people who are on the other side are just the consumers that don't actually produce this. You know, like four thousand dollars, man, that guy just walked around with you know walked away with four grand in his pocket. It's like no, <laughs> no, <laughs> like, no, that's that's not quite how it works. <laughs> Take several yeah, hundred dollars start, we, just we, for we, the shipping, you know, let alone uh, for yeah. the other stuff. Yeah, there's a uh, and the hidden costs and the stuff that you don't even think about. The uh, you know. That's why we do, you know, when we go to these cons, we do these um, uh, uh, Zach and Skeeter's, um, uh, what's it called, um, Guide to Independent Publishing or whatever. They, they, they do this great um, seminar where they just out, lay out all the pitfalls of, you know, of, of, you know, running stuff on Kickstarter or being an independent publisher and you know, how to not get taken advantage of, but at the same time, try to break even or, you know, try to be successful. You know, they learned all these lessons the hard way and they're giving you that information so that you don't run afoul of that, you know, yourself. It's, um, yeah, those, those kinds of things are invaluable, that's invaluable information, you know? So you listen, listeners, if you're at a, if you're at a convention and you see the the small publishing seminar from Speedy Green and Zach Glazier, you definitely need to sit in on that because it's a, it's an eye opener. Yeah, it really is. It is, uh, I think for really anybody who kind of wants to understand the industry, even if they're not wanting to get in it and come to a better understanding of what people go through, because obviously everybody's doing this um, because they love doing it. And, yeah. well, you know, there's, you know, you and I could be, for the amount of time and effort we're putting into this, we could have a part-time job somewhere else and do much better. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> but, you know, listen, you, you, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. And I, not that I'm trying to build Rome. I just, uh, I like making cool stuff. And um, it, it goes a long way towards my quality of life to have a creative outlet. So yeah, it all feeds into to the whole thing, you know? I think it's, I think it's helped me in ways I didn't realize. Um, Cause I used to have a lot of problems wintertime. I'm not sure what the deal was, but I've noticed the last couple of years, I haven't had problems in wintertime. And so I don't know if it's the writing and doing the layout and that's helped. I'm not sure. Or staying busy and just having a goal, you know, just in general, you know, being again, being creative and having that creative outlets uh, for me well, personally, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's invaluable. I have to have something where I'm doing, where I have some sort of creative outlet, whether it's drawing or writing or music or, or something, you know, I have to have some sort of something that is a creative outlet. Yeah. And I think this is, and I think the idea that there is, uh, there's a financial, uh, there is a financial incentive even if it isn't a, a large one, there still is, that helps, I think, provide focus and some sort of measure to of success. Even though that shouldn't be the old, ultimate measure of success, but, you know, <laughs> the idea that somebody's paying a dollar, paying, buying your stuff, that, that, that helps reinforce at least, you know, people value it that much. For sure, man. Everybody needs a side hustle. <laughs> well, and that's my, my goal is to get the side hustle going so that I can, uh, I can quit the, 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 the job I'm doing now and, uh, and start doing some other things. No, for sure. They definitely, that's everybody's dream. I, mean, I only know a couple of guys who've been super successful at it, where they've transitioned that, you know, that side gig in RPGs to a full-time gig. Um, 
you'd be surprised who, you know, the, the people who are sitting at the top of, of, you know, these second tier companies that they have day jobs, you know? Oh yeah. <laughs> like, no, no. In fact, know, I don't, be... I don't want to do this full time, but I would like, you know, cause I, I can retire uh, with a small pension. I still would not afford to, to live uh, off the pension, but, but at least the insurance is affordable and I get some money and I can just get a part-time job and get a smaller house. And then as long as I can make, if I can make a little bit of money, more serious money, but a little bit more money from the RPG hobby, then I'd be perfect. There you go. <laughs> to do it 40 hours a week or 60 hours a week. I don't want to do that. That's, that's not fun, but do it 15, 20 hours a week. That's a lot of fun. Uh, I, I concur. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> well, I think we're hitting the, the time space continuum, Levi. Uh, <laughs> this might have to be a two-parter. <laughs> it may have to be <laughs> because we rambled so hard. Yeah. We rambled completely past what we were going to talk about. <laughs> yeah. And then there was, you know, we were talking about grindhouse movies uh, before we even started. So there was, uh, yes, <laughs> we were, we were all over the place for sure. Yeah. So anyway, we will have to, to reconvene uh, and, and cover <laughs> Well, the, the one that I really want, and I'll, I'll just leave with this, but, uh, you know, obviously I want to talk to you about venture design because uh, you wrote some very, very, very entertaining adventures to that are both entertaining to read and were fun to, to play in. So definitely want to get your uh, you. input. So that way I can be successful, learn from you. So that's the only reason <laughs> I'm doing these, these podcasts is so I can drain the, uh, the, the minds of the people I interview and then I can <laughs> learn from them and then I can become successful. Well, I don't know if you want to drain this mind. There's not there's not much left rattling around in there. But uh, but thank you for those very kind words to say. Um, <laughs> are you going to so, be a uh, game? Are you going to be a game hole or not game hole? Uh, Gary Con? I I never plan on. I've never been to. I've never been to Gary Con. I don't have any plans to go to Gary Con. Mm. Well, if you show up, yeah, I'll save a spot for you in one of the games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the, the uh, not to get too personal, but I, I try not to be too crazy. Well, family time, obviously. I, sure. I try not to go too crazy. I usually would do two cons a year. So, um, so uh, we'll see. Um, but I don't know. It's been a crazy year so far. So yeah, we'll see. Maybe I will. You never know. So if you do, I'll I'm gonna, for that scene. No, for sure. I'm going to hit up Total Con uh, next month in Massachusetts. And then the month after is Gary Con. And then um, uh, North Texas in June. And past that, I mean, obviously Game Hole in uh, October. But we have a local con called Awesome Con. Uh, up in dc that i'll probably uh i'll probably hit up and then there's pax unlimited um which i went to last month yeah december uh in philadelphia so i don't know i'm looking at smaller cons uh there's a great one in connecticut called shire con it's real small but it has a real good turnout of of um great players from the northeast hmm. um a lot of folks that I see at other cons, you, you see there, and um, Tom Wilson, who does uh, BX Basics, it's his con. Um, so yeah, I'll be at all these cons <laughs> this coming year, and uh, I just I love them because it's great. It's a great way to meet new people, and you you get to toss dice and make memories, and um, just do just play cool games and do stuff that you normally wouldn't wouldn't be doing. 
Yeah, I agree. Uh, and uh, it's, it's much more, I mean, I did, I was glad I went to, to, um, to Gen Con a few years ago, but I, I'm very happy I went and, but I, I never, I don't have any desire to ever do that again. I'm not, you know, uh, when it comes to origins, Gen Con, <clears throat> the bigger cons, um, even, I don't think I'll go back to PAX either. Um, they're just so big and there's a lot of walking and the load in is a nightmare and, uh, less, less opportunities for, um, making these connections with, with, um, you know, people who are kind of in your wheelhouse and just, it's kind of just, it's so loud, you know, the, and I don't mean like in a physical sense. I mean, just the whole thing is just, it's a lot. So I like to narrow it down to, you know, smaller, more personal cons game hole aside, because again, because it's so well ran. So it is, it is. And like I said, I think it's like, even though there's a lot of people, um, it's it's the the people who are on the we'll call it the non D D pathfinder track uh it, it's your own little small convention aside from the others and it's it's really nice and i and it just seems like if you play year after year you start seeing the same people over and over and yeah. uh and there's a certain amount of charm to that you know where it's like you may not always play in their games but you pass them in the halls or might see them at the hotel or whatever so I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. <laughs> it's okay. So anyway, we'll, we'll talk later, Levi. Thank you very much. Yeah, no worries, man. It was nice. Uh, nice talking to you again.